It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome again. My name is Matt Hausman, your host for the Smart Money Questions podcast kind of say that like back in the day growing up in Florida I used to hear the University of Miami so it's really cool to come to you today because as I'm recording this it's the week leading up to Memorial Day weekend and with what we've all been dealing with over the course of the last 10 to 12 weeks and being shut down as we're coming in you know this is up in the Northeast I really learned this when I moved you know 20 years ago from uh, Florida up to New York and I recognize, you know, in Florida, weather's nice all year round, you know, so you don't really, you're not really looking at a certain date and time that kind of starts the, quote, summer period. But boy, I learned it really quickly in the Northeast that from Memorial Day to Labor Day, that is the time of summer up here. So we're leading into that right now. One thing that is exciting up here in Metro Philadelphia, where we are, many times this is when people start to head down to the Jersey Shore, or the Delaware, Maryland beaches. I've always thought it was kind of funny that they, you know, one state, it's one thing, another state, it's something else. But they're always heading down there to start those summer months. And the nice thing that's happening right now is a lot of the Jersey beaches, I'm not really sure what's happening in Delaware. I know Maryland is as well. They're opening up the beaches with still certain restrictions. By the way, if you are going to go down there, I did look at this earlier today especially in Jersey, you want to go to the county websites if you're heading down there to see what activities can actually happen on the beach. So for instance, if Maggie's going to go to the beach, she's not going there to surf. She's going there to lay out, right? Sunbathe. So you want to make sure that that is part of the opening of that particular beach that that you're going to. But it is exciting. You know, we're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, speaking with clients that we have down south in the Carolinas, Texas, Florida. You know, they've been opening up over the course of the last two or three weeks. They've already started to see that. I spoke to a buddy of mine that is uh, down in Florida a couple weeks ago. He shot me a picture from probably one of my favorite restaurants right out on the bay in the marina down in Sarasota. And uh, and it was packed. He said it was like, it, he couldn't believe it. It was like there was, you know, they they were having to restrict how many people came in but there was a line waiting to come in. So that's exciting as we're, you know, hopefully getting our way through what we have been dealing with over the course of the last 10 weeks. And so on this podcast, one of the things in speaking to people and the questions that I've been getting, I've been interested to see many times, even with all this going on, the questions are still relatively the same. And what I want to do today is relatively the same for what they would have been a year ago, two, five, six, eight years ago. And so I wanted to go over some specific questions that I have received either uh, through email, through our website, or uh, when I've been on the phone with people and just kind of go back over those. I got four of them today, and I, I think they really they really speak to the the fundamental principles that we talk about in financial planning and investment planning and asset management planning. And so before we jump into that, let's make sure we deal with a disclaimer. Please don't take any of the information or ideas or suggestions that I offer in today's show as direct advice for you. Please use it as information and education that you then can discuss 
with your advisor. Now, if you don't have an advisor or you would like for us to be your advisor, I'm more than happy to have that conversation with you. And it's real simple. All you have to do is go to www.speakwithmatt.com. That's www.speakwithmatt.com. And my online scheduler is right there. You can go right in. You can schedule a 15 or 30 minute phone conversation. And quite frankly, at the end of that first call, we're going to have a good idea. Does it make sense to have a second conversation? So again, very low key. Go right into the online scheduler. You don't even have to get on the phone with anyone to schedule this. So again, speakwithmat.com, www.speakwithmat.com, and schedule it there. So all right, let's go ahead and get on to today's show. Okay, let's jump into this. So the first one comes to us from Beverly in Virginia. She says, I counted up the mutual funds in my IRA, and it appears that I have 33 different funds. Is that adequate diversification? And that is a great question. And that's a question we get many times. And or sometimes people won't even ask that question because they look down, hey, I got 33. I'm well diversified. The question that I would ask you further before we can really answer that is of those 33 mutual funds, what are those funds invested in? So let me give you an example. We had someone come in quite a while ago. They came in, I think they had 38 or 40 mutual funds in their portfolio. And they were like, hey, listen, we're pretty already well diversified. I mean, look at all these different funds that we have. And then I asked that question. I said, well, wait a second. What are, you, what are all those funds invested in? And they really didn't have an answer that they were comfortable with. And I said, listen, one of the things that we do is we will run a report on all of your funds that you have in your portfolio. And what this report is going to show us is where, what asset classes are all of these mutual funds in? And let's see if we're diversified. Are we diversified international stocks versus domestic stocks? International bonds versus domestic bonds, sovereign bonds versus corporate bonds. You know, so there's all different ways that we want to make sure we are diversified. Just having 30 or 33 or 40 mutual funds doesn't necessarily mean we are adequately asset class diversified. And so that's one of the questions I would ask. Where are those 33 mutual funds invested in? In this particular person that, that had come in, is when we did the analysis on the portfolio, what we found is that the vast majority, almost 95% of all of their underlying investments were in three asset classes, intermediate term domestic bonds, U.S. large cap stocks, international large cap stocks. So for instance, what do I mean by domestic large cap? Well, we can think of the S&P 500 fund. You know, you can pretty much buy that. That doesn't mean that's all of them domestic large cap growth companies that are out there. But that's one that I think that everyone can recognize. Okay, we pay attention to the S&P 500. That's the 500 largest capitalized companies in America domestically. But the reality is, if we want to be truly diversified, we want to look at having mid cap companies. We want to look at small cap companies. Uh, if possible, we want to look at micro cap companies. We want to look to diversify through all asset classes, not only domestically, but also internationally. And then what we do is we want to make sure that with, you know, one of the ways that we look to bring down the volatility that we know stocks will create up and down markets is that we bring in bonds. And then we also want to look at diversifying within our bond portion. You know, so we might want to have some short-term 
um, bond exposure, you know, 12 to 24 months, you know, some intermediate. We don't really want to look at or we're not a big proponent of having long-term, you know, 10, 15, 30-year type bonds because those have more interest rate sensitivity. So we want to remember, we're just looking for the bonds to actually bring in and kind of calm down the volatility that the stocks are going to do. And Beverly, the other thing that I would tell you to look at, or let's go back to the question, is this adequate diversification is when you look at the underlying asset classes that all those mutual funds are invested in. And hopefully they are across you know, multiple asset classes. Like for instance, the portfolios we use have uh, 21, 22 different asset classes within them. But the other thing, Beverly, that I would tell you to look at is diversification is something we all want to have. But the other thing is I can be well diversified in a 100% stock portfolio. So that means I, there's absolutely no bonds. Well, let me tell you something. That thing is going to be extremely volatile. So Beverly, what I would tell you to do is not only look at the diversification, look at the risk you are taking. And are you comfortable with that risk? One of the things you want to look at when you do an analysis of all of those mutual funds is what's the, uh, you know, the highest upside potential? What's the lowest downside potential? And no one really cares about the upside, right? When everything's going good, you know, we're not really that worried. It's when things start to fall and we start to see our value fall that if we didn't recognize the positions that we were or the risk we were taking before, that can be a rude awakening, rude awakening for somebody. Well, I thought I was in a balance, a 50% stock, 50% bond portfolio. And then after, if they would have done an analysis, they found out maybe they were 80, 20, 90, 10. Well, over the course of the last 10 weeks, that's taken a hit big time, you know, so it's real important. So let's go back to your question. 33 uh, different mutual funds. Is that adequate diversification? You need to look and do some underlying digging. Look at the details underneath there. See the asset classes that you're diversified into between all those 33. Hopefully there's numerous ones there. The next thing you want to look at is, am I okay with my risk exposure between those 33 mutual funds? So hopefully that helps you and, and kind of understands that you need to do a little more research to be able to adequately answer that question. Okay. The next one comes to us, Amber in Florida. I'm 55 years old and I have about 300 grand saved for retirement, but I feel like I'm really behind where I should be. Compared to most people I know, am I in trouble? <laughs> well, Amber, first of all, I don't, I don't know the people that you know. I think your question there is, you know, based on my age, am I adequately saving enough? Am I, am I where I need to be? So, there's a couple other questions, again, that I would ask you to be able to come to that, you know, do you have enough or do you need to be maybe ramping up your savings? The first thing I would tell you to do is, okay, when do you want to retire? Are you retiring in 10 years, in 15 years, in five years? You know, that's an important question. I mean, if, it's, if you're not looking to retire until 70, you've still got 15 years of savings, you know, so, but if you're looking to retire in five, you're like right around the corner. Five years happens in the blink of an eye. You know, so that's one of the questions I would ask you. So for instance, if you were sitting in my office, that's the first thing I would say if you ask it, well, when are you looking to retire? The next thing I would tell you to look at is when you finally retire, whatever date and age you are at that point, what are going to be your other retirement income sources? So what do I mean by that? Well, you know, we've got social security. Are you going to get a pension? 
Do you have other investments? Is this 300000 maybe just in your 401k? But you might have other investments, rental income, right? So there's other types of income that maybe you can count on outside of just this bulk of $300,000 and whatever it grows to at that time. And the most important thing, Amber, I would tell you, and for those of you that are clients or have been listening for a while, you know that I speak about this all the time. The biggest thing that you want to also be looking at is not only the $300,000 amount, you want to be looking at how is it tax classified. So for instance, I made the comment, if all that $300,000 is all in your 401k, is that a traditional 401k, a pre-tax, which means when you start to take it out, first of all, we have the rules, you know, taking it out before 59 and a half, except for this year, usually instigates a 10% federal tax penalty. You know, but when I take it out after that, it's going to be counted as ordinary income. Eventually, even if I don't need it, the IRS is going to tell me I have to take it. If you had the opportunity to then have after-tax investments along with Roth. So again, if you have a traditional 401k, ask your HR, and that's where you're putting the bulk of your retirement savings. Ask them if you have a Roth 401k options. You guys are going to hear me, well, you, many of you have been hearing me preach about this for over 10 years, but you're going to really hear it now. If we think about what has been happening over the course of the last 10 weeks and all of the stimulus packages that have went into effect, where do we think tax rates are going? I could think of only one direction and it's not down. And quite frankly, at this point, it doesn't matter who is in the White House, who is controlling Congress, who is controlling the Senate. It doesn't matter at this point. The reality is at some point in time, we're going to have to pay the tax man. And so this is where understanding that $300,000. So for instance, if that $300,000 is all in a Roth IRA versus a traditional IRA or a Roth 401k or a traditional 401k, it means so much more to you financially as a Roth than it does as a traditional IRA. Why? Because of the tax hit. You know, right now, if they raise taxes 10%, what just happened to that 300 grand? Boom, 30,000 is off the top. Why? Uncle Sam's got his hand out. So it's real important. You know, Amber, so what I would be telling you to do is in addition to those other questions, when am I looking to retire? Am I going to have other uh, retirement income sources when that day comes? You know, that's extremely important. And then how is my money tax classified? How much am I going to actually put in my pocket? Very, very important. I think if you answer a couple of those other questions, then that will tell you, am I behind or not? And if you're behind, you're over 50, boom, you can really start, if you can afford it, can really start packing money away. So, you know, really important to ask those other questions to be able to give you a more precise answer. So hopefully that's helpful for you, Amber. If you have any questions on that, you know, always know that you can reach out to us directly, 610 619-3003, or just go right to my online calendar, schedule a time to talk. Just go with speakwithmatt.com. Okay, let's jump to Trevor in Pennsylvania. Can you clarify whether I can start my social security benefits and still earn an income or not? I've heard different things and I'm confused about my options. That is a question I get all of the time. And so Trevor, here's the easiest way to answer that is uh, one of the things uh, you didn't tell me here is how old you are. So I'm going to use the term full retirement age. So if you take Social Security, the earliest you can take it on your own benefit is 62. Now, 
at your full retirement age, which more than likely is going to be age 66 or 66 in some months leading up to 67. So for instance, mine, my full retirement age is 67 years old. If you take Social Security at any time before your full retirement age, by the way, Trevor, you can go right to ssa.gov, go to estimate my benefits if you don't know that or if you don't have a past statement. It will tell you when your full retirement age is. If you take it before that date, there is, yes, there is earnings restrictions on how much you can earn, okay? Usually before that year, that calendar tax year of your full retirement age, it's a very, very low number, $17,000, $18,000. It goes up a little bit every year. But if you make more than that, earn over that, and you are collecting early benefits from Social Security, they are going to withhold 50 cents of every dollar over from your Social Security benefit. So you really have to, you have to understand that full retirement age, how much you're going to be earning, and does it really make sense? If they're going to take 50 cents of every dollar, for instance, over 18 grand, then if, and I'm making 50, well, that doesn't seem like it's a good equation. I want to go ahead and hold off. Now, after your full retirement age, whenever that is, now you can go earn as much as you want. So again, the earnings restriction happens prior to your full retirement age. So for instance, mine is 67. If I decided I wanted to go take Social Security at 64, I've potentially got three years of earnings restrictions of a very low number. If I go over that, for instance, um, it's 50 cents of every dollar over. Only in the year that you turn your full retirement age up to a certain point, I think this year it's like 45000 then it's $0.33 cents of every dollar over until full retirement age. Once you get to full retirement age, boom, you can go earn as much as you want. So the biggest thing you want to look at, Trevor, is when are you looking to take it and when is your full retirement age? That's what's going to be able to... And by the way, Trevor, you can actually... Don't just trust what I'm saying. You can go right to ssa.gov or you could do a Google search and actually put in Social Security earnings restrictions, and you'll be able to find uh, exactly what those numbers are. Again, they change those numbers every year. They come out in uh, January for what it's going to be for that tax year. So again, real important to understand when you're full retirement age and when you're considering taking Social Security based on that. Okay, let's jump to the last one. This last one comes to us from Bill in Arizona. I just inherited a very large sum of money from my dad that I wasn't expecting at all. I thought I might get about 50000 but it's more like 10 times that. I've already been diligently saving for my own retirement, not counting on anything like this, so I don't even know what to do with it. What's the most responsible way to handle it? Well, uh, first of all, congrats on that, going from 50 to 10 times that. That's a big surprise. The one thing that a couple things, Bill, I would tell you to really look at in with regards to you weren't expecting it. Sounds like you've already been, well, you actually said, I've been saving diligently. Don't know your age, don't know when you're looking to retire. So let's look at we've got let let's just make numbers easy. We got five hundred thousand dollars that we have inherited. The first thing I would tell you to do is make sure you understand. Again, the tax characterization of the money. Is this $500,000? Is it maybe it was an old stock portfolio your father had? Maybe it was the sale of a home that he had or multiple homes. Maybe it's an IRA. And that's where you want to really understand the tax characterization of the money. 
The other ones I was talking about, if it was the sale of a home or inheriting stocks, you know, then you get what's called a step up in basis. And you don't have to worry about any other tax issues for you personally. And really, quite frankly, no other rules around inheriting that money and then what you do with it. But if it's an IRA, now you have to understand how to inherit it correctly. Along with that is now going to fall, well, I'm assuming that your father passed this year. If your father passed this year, now you're under the SECURE Act rules, which means whether it's a portion of that 500000 or all of it, you have to deplete that account within 10 years and pay tax as ordinary income when you take that money out. Now, you can decide to wait nine years and take it all out in one year. Don't know that I would do that. You know, especially if it's that larger amount, you can dole it out each year, but you're going to be the one that's going to need to plan that out if it is an IRA. Okay. So it's real important. First of all, you want to understand how am I, what type of tax characterization is this money that's coming in? Now let's talk about, okay, so once you get that established, what is the most responsible way to handle it? Well, the one thing I would tell you is if you've already been saving and you're doing really well with that then this half a million dollars that just got dumped in your lap, what's its purpose? What do you want to do with that money? Or maybe, you know, I, I have clients that think about what their, what their relative or their parents, whoever they inherited the money from, what, was their, what did they want this money to be for? Uh, for instance, one client we have uh, who inherited money came to me with this exact question, what's the most responsible way to handle this? And I said, well, what's its purpose? Well, we really want to make sure that, you know, at least a portion of this goes to what these relatives would have wanted this money to do. So we set up charitable contributions to the different charities that those relatives were already supporting. It could be that you want this for, or you want the purpose to be for your heirs, maybe through educational funding. You know, maybe through uh, helping a recent graduate who wants to start their own business. You know, so when you start to really identify the purpose of the money, is that then you can go and look to how to invest the money. So I'll back up. So the one clients that inherited some money came to me with this exact question. They said, we want at least a portion of this money to continue funding the charities that our relatives wanted to do. And I said, okay, well, what charities are there? And they, they described what they were. And I said, okay, well, how much, what's the percentage we're going to peel off just for that? And they said what that was. And I said, well, the reality is I don't believe that the prudent thing to do is invest this money in the market because of the fluctuations. And you want to be able to make sure this money gets to its charities based on this amount now. So what do we do? We use some structured programs where we get a decent amount of return, but we have full downward exposure. And then what they're doing is every year we are doling it out. That What they wanted to do is schedule it out over a 10-year period of time. And every year they don't have to worry about what's happening right now. That charity is still going to get the money this year. You know, Compared to if we would have had invested the money, well, obviously the, that investment would be down. So identify the purpose. And so whatever it is, so let's say you're going to, well, I want it to be for my kids. And uh, Bill, I'm going to make a, I'm going to say you're, you're 60 years old. So I'm going to say your kids are 35 years old, and then you have grandkids. Well, if you want it to be a surprise for them, maybe you don't tell them, maybe you do. But now, well, they don't really need the money right now, or maybe they need a little portion of it. 
you can peel off a little bit, maybe put it in a savings account, and that's where you would go. Then invest the other money as if you're investing it in their age, not yours, because you don't need it, right? So again, it goes back to identifying the purpose of the money. Well, first of all, we want to identify the tax characterization. Then we identify the purpose of the money. Once we have identified the purpose of the money, then we can look at how to invest it. Um, it could be you say, hey, listen, you know, I don't want it for heirs. I don't want it for charity. I don't want to keep working. I don't, you know, I'm 60 years old. I want to retire now. Well, then that, that creates a different financial strategy to make that happen. You know, some, you would want to go through a couple other steps to make sure that that's, that's feasible, but you kind of get the idea. The first thing we always want to identify is tax perspective. Second thing we want to identify is purpose. Once we have those two down, then we can start to plan and develop our strategy based on the purpose that we have identified. So, Bill, those are the things that I would tell you. That's the process I would tell you to go through to then be able to determine what the investment and what the most prudent way or responsible way to handle that money is. So, listen, everyone, I hope this has been helpful and valuable for you. If you have a question or scenario that you would like for me to address on the show, know that you can do that right at info app smartmoneyquestions.com. You can go to smartmoneyquestions.com. There's a form right there to fill out. Or if you would like to have a specific conversation with me on your situation or maybe a scenario that you would rather address personally, know that you can go to speakwithmat.com. Online calendar is right there. You can go ahead and schedule a time for us to talk. Well, listen, everyone, I hope everyone is doing well, staying safe, looking forward to this coming weekend. And maybe we see you on the beaches. Take care. We'll talk soon.